2: talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Это второй сезон нашей
0: борьбы с криминальными свалочами. Ваш ведущий Грег
1: Олиар. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show from Muller She wrote, and the Daily Beans. The one, the only Allison Gill is here. We're gonna bring her on in a few minutes. Before that, it's now, as I'm recording this, Wednesday morning, 8.20 a.m., and Dan Scavino is still on the loose, still successfully hiding from being served his subpoena by the January 6th commission. I'm sure that these guys will figure out where to find him, hint, the golf course. But in the meantime, um, I thought of of a song parody, and I'm sure you guys are tired of hearing me sing this crap. So I've enlisted the aid of my wife, Stephanie St. John, who is a trained musical theater genius. So she's going to sing this dumb thing that I just wrote. Okay. <laughs> if she can stop laughing.
2: Okay.
0: Don't cry on me, Dan Scavino. The truth is you're just a caddy. You got subpoenaed. By the commission, they have some questions about the edition. Yay! I <laughs> <laughs> just got up.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. She's been up for less than 20 minutes. Coffee has not hit the system yet. Very good job. Very thank good you, job. Thank you, thank you. Sy- Syracuse University Department of Musical Theater. Very, very proud. Very proud. Represent. Um, That was Stephanie St. John. Uh, (laughs) We're going to be right back with Alison Gill.
0: It's your money. Why let the IRS take it from you? Or Interpol? Or your ex-wife? When high net worth individuals park their wealth, they look to Switzerland, Jersey, Luxembourg, and the Cayman Islands, the Mount Rushmore of tax havens. But did you know... There's a perfectly good tax shelter right here in the United States. The Pandora Papers raves, South Dakota now rivals notoriously opaque jurisdictions in Europe and the Caribbean in financial secrecy. It's true, yeah? Here in South Dakota, we have $360 billion in assets, the most secretive trust laws on earth, and the real Mount Rushmore why trust your trust with the foreigners bring offshore to the black hills here in south dakota we're yours until the Sioux files and now back to the show
1: okay allison gill
2: welcome to the prevail podcast thank you thank you so much how are you mr oliar
1: I am well, thank you. I I have a uh, giant coffee that I've just consumed most of, so mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm ready and raring to go. Now, I'm excited to have you on because you know I've been following your work uh, before I got to know you, following your work. Um, you know, first at, at muller she wrote, and then the Beans, and now of course you run MSW Media, of which. Full disclosure, this this podcast is on that uh, that vaunted network, but um, I want to talk about all this stuff, but what I want to talk about really on today's show is you and who you are, because you have generated so much content in the last, I don't know, four years. It's really, it's astonishing. Now I look back at my own archive and I'm like, how the fuck did I do this? And you put me to shame. I have no idea how you do it. Do you sleep or do you you get plugged into the wall like a Tesla? Are you operating on battery? Like what's going on with you? How have you managed to do this?
2: Here's what I think it is. And of course, this is just a working theory, right? Uh, I have post-traumatic stress from an incident that happened to me in the military about 26 years ago. Uh, It was a a content warning here. It was sexual assault. Uh, I tried to report and was, uh, let's just say discouraged, uh, but threatened is probably more uh, appropriate uh, a word uh, to not report that. Um, And ever since uh, my sort of way of coping has been to understand every single thing I can about a subject so that I am not surprised by anything. Um, I, I, for example, I rewatch movies that I've already seen a million times so that I'm not like, you know, surprised by the, by the ending. Uh, I, I tend to rewatch the same shows, binge the same shows over and over again. Sometimes I get into new content if it's super saccharine, like my buddy Ted Lasso, but you know, if it's something that could surprise or shock me, I tend to stay away from it. So I think what's happened is that I've since- the former guy was elected, which was traumatic in and of itself for a lot of yeah. Americans and continues to be. I just sort of engrossed to myself and like into the, into the news because that fire hose um, of a scandal, that, sh- that shit show of, of things happening, not just every news cycle, but every 10 minutes uh, it, it w- was traumatic, and so I, I, I guess I just dedicated myself to following it intently, knowing everything that I could about it, so that it, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, things are shocking that happened, but not surprising. Uh, it's sort of like, I, I expect fireworks on the 4th of July. I do not on December 9th. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so that's, I think, why and I, and I said, you know what? I need to boil this down, make it digestible, make it funny, make it relatable so that people can stay up with the news without being traumatized by it. And, uh, and so since I was already watching it 24-7 and on top of it and in the weeds and in the details, uh, I, I felt like the best thing I could do to help others not be shocked by it was to, to do the same for them and sort of deliver it in a way that made it a little bit easier to take
1: it's been amazingly successful and I, I I'm so impressed by your ability to not only keep on top of everything, but remember everything. I mean, I remember <laughs> the first time I came on your show, I was really fucking intimidated by you, by the way, because you're, you can be very intimidating. You know, you, you're very professional, you know, your shit like cold. And uh, sometimes I have to cheat a little bit and go back and review things, but I feel like you don't, I feel like you just, you have such a good command of every, all these little, you know, court filings and you know, oh, the, something will happen, you'll be like, this is like page 7,000 million of the Mueller report in the third footnote where it's, a, and I'm like, "God, how does, she, how does she do this thing? So it's interesting that, that, that that's a way, that it's a way to cope. And of course, you know, that does make perfect sense. You said the word trauma twice, I think, or three times already in this. And I think that, you know, th- this has been a traumatizing time. Uh, tr- Trump's presidency, for any number of reasons, has been traumatic. And between, you know, the, and even before the, the, the insurrection and the, the uh, pandemic, it was a, this traumatizing thing, especially to women and, and, and sexual assault survivors who see this horrible, hulking, awful, clearly guilty predator, uh, even in the debate stage behind Hillary Clinton, looking like he's going to strangle her. It's, it's right? awful, it's awful stuff. But I want to get back to that in a minute. I want, to, I want to rewind with you. Can we rewind? Because you mentioned your military service. I want to talk about that. But I want to go back even further. Like, where are you from? <laughs> what did your parents do? Do you have siblings? Like, tell us. The, 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 let's start at the beginning here, Allison.
2: Oh, first the earth cooled, and then the dinosaurs came. Uh, no, sorry, airplane quote. The dinosaurs
1: were put here by Satan. And Jesus rode one. Us to confuse us. Yeah, okay. I know,
2: I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> the T-Rex took up all the space on the Ark, really, is what <laughs> happened. Um, well, I honestly, I had a saccharine childhood. I had a Norman Rockwell kidhood growing up um you know, dad was had just gotten out of the air force um, and that's a whole story that i learned much later about what he was doing in the air force uh mom was county recorder of stowe ohio dragged me to the polls every chance uh, I, she could either maybe she just didn't have child care uh, but you know always went to the polls with her and uh, learned about politics very early on they were republicans uh i like ike you know that whole the, you know pre Trump Republicans, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then my dad's dad owned a steel mill in, in Cleveland and they built this soapbox colonial with black shutters and a red door. Uh, we had a, you know, a, a Chevy Nova, There's a little pond behind our house. I used to ice skate on in the winter time. I had w- went to Catholic school. I had pigtails and a strawberry shortcake fucking lunchbox. It was Gross, right? Uh, when I was six, my parents had a second kid. That's my younger sister, my my little sister, uh, and we were a nuclear family. And then, you know, as, as, until the until the st- the steel industry uh, went under because after my dad got out of the military, he worked for for Firestone for a minute doing some top secret shit, but then uh, went back to work for WJ Gill Steel, which was my grandpa's steel company, and then. My dad was like, "You got to retool, man. Steel's going down. You have to do something else, you know. Plastics, you know." <laughs> I just have that scene from The Graduate, you know. Yeah. Uh, exactly. How do you mean? Um,
1: but my grandpa wouldn't.
2: Buyer. So we, yeah. So we all uh, packed up and moved, uh, moved over to the Southwest, moved to, to Phoenix when I was very young, and um, continued to go to Catholic school. Um, and my father passed away when I was young, when I was 16, he died from complications due to exposure to Agent Orange. And of course, oh Congress didn't pass and the VA didn't recognize Agent Orange uh, as a, a you know, a cause to thing for all of these issues, these medical issues that he had. That bill passed in 1991 and my father passed away in 1990. So uh, after that, I, I took what little money uh, I had from his uh, leftover pension of VA benefits was able to go to college uh, at a very liberal art school in Northern Arizona, NAU. I was a lumberjack. Go lumberjacks.
1: Okay. Uh,
2: that's where I got into politics, uh, working on the very first campaign of one, Mr. Bill Clinton. And, um, you know, I've taking taking yeah. with me all of my, you know, memories of trips to the polls as a, as a kid, but Definitely a a liberal Democrat progressive at the time you know very progressive ideas like it's cool to be gay uh <laughs> you know, <laughs> saxophone
1: days. you know the saxophone's coming back it's all yeah it's all it's good all, yeah so, it's all very so, big
2: but that's now, that's sort of the beginning right that's the that's the beginning that's
1: the, that's the genesis of the thing so okay so it sounds the ohio stuff sounds very much like a bruce springsteen song you know <laughs> you, you could totally get that get that go but um so you went to catholic school are you catholic were you raised catholic or they just thought the schools were better
2: uh, I was raised Catholic. Uh, my mom was uh, Lutheran, but became Catholic because my dad's parents were very Irish Catholic. Uh, although my grandma Gil uh, was a witch. Also, I remember when um, I decided I didn't like Catholicism anymore. I was think I was 14 or something. We were doing that thing where we were telling each other around the dinner table, what we were going to give up for Lent. And I was like this, I gave up this. This is stupid. (laughs) And my grandma took me aside, super Irish Catholic, and she handed me a deck of tarot cards. And she goes, good girl, you know, patted me on the back. And she's like, you go read some books about drawing down the moon. Okay, bye. Um, But very Irish Catholic. We became Catholic. I went to Catholic schools. But as soon as I fucking graduated, my mom's like, all right, fucking we stopped. They stopped going to church. It was over. Like they were Catholics for the kids.
1: You know, interesting. Interesting. I'm no
2: longer Catholic.
1: No, I was raised Catholic also, although I have I found, you know, my dad, uh, my mom was pretty, you know, she still goes to church. All day, but my, my dad was secretly a heathen, you know, so it'd be like, oh, we're going on Sunday. Where's dad? Oh, he's sleeping. You know, OK. Yeah, no, he just didn't want to go. So I, I find that, you know, there is often these these figures in the family of some importance that are like, yeah, this is, you know, they can't they can't fake it um, convincingly enough to, to my- for the for the kids to go.
2: But my Catholic so. high school, very progressive. Cool, right? Like That often a,
1: happens. We had you know, theology it,
2: class, but we had a, a bunch of science. We taught evolution. They, they were like, the Bible is symbolic. Please don't take this shit literally. We learned world cultures. Uh, we read a lot of really amazing books. My, my fucking reading list, summer reading list, before I entered in ninth grade. So after I met, the summer between eighth and ninth grade, Zora Neale Hurston, Toni Morrison, uh, like just uh, the beloved cry the beloved country uh, also um, the hiding place like really intense uh, books for an eighth grader to be reading but uh, so very very cool education some nuns some not um, but uh, you know it was a very it was very very good it was a very good school and good schooling and so I'm glad I, I'm glad I went uh, we did have to go to mass every Thursday in the gym which was weird but
1: still well, sometimes you learn, you know, you learn even in, in in these experiences how to do, you know, certain things. So, I'm I'm glad that you went to a good Catholic school. I think most of them are. I think most we of had them a, are pretty good.
2: We had a cults class. It was so cool.
1: <laughs> well, who better to uh, to teach the cults class? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, yeah, they're
2: like we're the... <laughs> they're like not us, but check these weirdos out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, we're we're not a cult at all. You know, because let, let's symbolize the the body of the right okay we won't even go there um i'm a I, i'm technically a confirmed catholic so i'm allowed to say all this stuff I'm same same i i'm allowed to be critical you know but these, oh, were, these I, were these were these were jesuit catholic schools so. yep yep jesuits are the best i love the jesuits they're you know hiccups <laughs> to the jesuits in the house they got they got it going on um okay so your dad was in the air force you can you talk about what he did or you don't want to talk about that
2: i can but i didn't realize i didn't learn it until much later um i thought he was because he got out before and he never talked about it uh, yeah. up until the point he died uh, the only time we found i found out about it about stuff like that was when the hot when my mom was trying to tell the hospital like he was exposed to agent orange will you please listen to us because he's 46 years old and he's got 800 things wrong with him and uh so you know last summer it came out i think it was in vanity fair uh, or the the guardian the atlantic when they did the the article on um Trump calling veterans and war dead suckers and losers.
1: Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, I penned a tweet that said, my grandpa went down on the USS Gregory in Guadalcanal. I guess he's a sucker. My dad died from complications to exposure to Agent Orange in Vietnam. Guess he's a loser. I'm a veteran, but I'm not an amputee. So Trump says I can be in one of his parades. You know, and then it was something like, the choice is clear, Biden-Harris, 2020. Yeah. Uh, Tweet went viral, Washington Post picked it up. And then they published it. And then I got uh, somebody had asked me, a couple people had asked me, how how was your dad exposed to Agent Orange? Tell me how your dad was exposed to Agent Orange. And I don't know if they were like challenging the
0: right the, right
2: the truth of it, or just very curious. Sometimes it's hard to tell. <clears throat> and I was like, you know what? I don't know. And that started me on a three month research project um, where I inter- interviewed my mom, I interviewed my his brother, my uncle Rick, and I found out he wasn't just a boots on the ground guy fighting. Via Viet uh, He was actually in Air Force intelligence, uh, cryptology. He was he had to take a six-month intensive Russian learning program at Syracuse when he was, and he had to live with a Russian family for total immersion, and no one could know where he was. Then he was shipped to Cheyenne Mountain, right? NORAD, war games, whoop, whoop, you know, nuclear missiles. Trained there and then stationed at Kunia in uh, Wheeler Air Force Base, Hawaii, three-mile underground you know, uh, signals intelligence hub for the Pacific, right? And uh, and he t- he had T D Y orders to Vietnam like ten or twelve times in 1967 and 1968, according to my mom. The M P would just show up in the middle of the night, and be like, "You're shipping out, Gil." I was like, "Okay." And he would go to Vietnam for a couple of weeks, come back. No, I couldn't find out what he was doing until I got a hold of a really great journalist who who knew what the 1957th communications unit was doing, that was the unit that he was in. They were going to, behind enemy, enemy lines, like Monkey Mountain, building communication relay stations, intercepting Russian messages, decrypting them, and then translating them, and then Encrypting them and sending them to Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines, which is the the like the number one hub for all communications, and he took part in in war game tabletop exercises. One particular I called Exercise High Heels, which is uh you know what what we do do does our global communications uh, network function properly in the in the um in the event of a of a preemptive Russian nuclear strike. So whoa, right? My dad was fighting the Russians.
1: That's uh I have to admit I was stressed out just listening to you tell that story. (laughs) So I can't even imagine being like, okay, get out of bed. You're shipping to this horribly dangerous place and you're gonna do this. Then you have to do like tech like, you know, I can't even I try to like you know, reprogram the VCR or whatever. I know nobody has VCR. Yeah, anymore. no, but you, like, you know what I
2: mean. He, he's a guy who could pick up a Rubik's cube and do it in two seconds, or yeah. you know, solve a look look at a very complex mathematical string theory equation and be and have the answer. But he also had to learn to speak Russian fluently after he got out. CIA tried to recruit him to work at NATO headquarters. He said no, thanks. He ended up working for Firestone, and I, I alluded to that earlier. Yeah. Uh, he, he, Firestone, during that time period, was the first uh, company to develop sub-to-ground nuclear missile launching capability. So I think he might have had something to do with that.
1: Firestone?
2: <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, did he did, did he just make the tires for the <laughs> for the? for the missile. No, yeah, no. That's Firestone, right? So, and then he finally got out of that and went back to work for Mike cuz he just wanted to get out of government all altogether because it was just so he was he was conflicted about the motives, but he was also very much uh, against the spread of communism and the threat of the spread of communism and to to defend democracy. But he didn't like the democracy push. He liked it, the defense, but not the push. Right. Uh, sure. And so he was he was conflicted about that and also conflicted about the way our um, airmen, soldiers, Marines and sailors were treated when they came back from Vietnam.
1: He's like uh, like it sounds like a character from some kind of really cool movie where he's just, you know, they keep pulling me out and then they're going to go find him you know, working at the steel mill saying, come on, Gil, you're one last hurrah. We yeah. have to send you to Cambodia. You're, 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 you're knock and and this and that. And No, uh, come,
2: come work at the tire store for real. It's going to be totally fine. Just tires. Okay.
1: Yeah. Just tires. Sure. Tires. What's the Russian word for tires? Yeah.
2: Dude just wanted to have a family and go golfing, right? Like that, like he, he just wanted to live a
1: normal life. So you didn't find out about this until fairly I remember you telling me about it when it happened, but it was fairly recent, right? It was like within the last year you found out about this.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the imposter syndrome sort of melted away. You know, I've been questioning my sanity of, of risking and losing my 12 plus year government job to do this podcast. Uh, and you know, to you know, people with imposter syndrome are always like, Am I doing the right thing? Is this what I should be doing? Am I in the right place? And, and when I found out about that. Uh, it really, it really did make me feel like I I've been doing the right thing and I was in the right place.
1: Okay, I'm just going to say for the record, you are doing the right thing. And you're, in the right place. <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. Um, you know, lot, lots of I'm sure you did a really good job, at, at Veterans <clears throat> Affairs, you know, doing all that stuff. But that's that's you can find somebody else to do that. I don't know that we can find somebody else to do what you're doing as well as you're doing it. So you know, that's just that's just fact. Sorry. stack. I'll, I'll brook no. Uh,
2: well, you remember I had a discussion with you in the green room in Boston. Like, oh, I was so worried because it was the first show that we were going to do without one of our co-hosts. And I'm like, oh, you know, I think everyone's going to miss her. They're going to be mad and et cetera, et cetera. And you looked me right in the eye and you said, they're here for you, Gil. And I, I went, did. are you sure, man? Because, yeah, you know, it's it's um, it's an interesting. It, it, you, you know, I mean, do you ever just like, take a step back, look at your life from like a a 50,000 foot view and like, whoa, like, I'm doing this. Uh, Constantly,
1: constantly.
2: (laughs) I had one of those moments when, you know, I've been, you know, I'm a comedian. I've been telling dick jokes. I worked for the government. But I had this moment when the former associate deputy director of the Department of Justice, no, former associate deputy attorney general asked me for the phone number of the former director of the FBI because I had it. Yeah. And, and I, and I'm, and I'm like, oh yeah, sure. And then I was like, what the fuck? Who am I even? Right.
1: <laughs> that happens to me all the, you're laughing. That happens to me all the time. I mean, I'm just like, yeah, I'm a novelist, man. I'm not even <laughs> supposed to be doing this at all. And uh, you know, why am I, I'm on a show with with you know, the, the counterintelligence guy and this ex-KGB guy and the it, it's like it's it's sort of a mind blow and again it it you know Lincoln's Bible and I have this joke that this is all the, we're, the simulation is glitching this is just yeah. a simulation yeah. uh-huh. and now we're running out of you know things and it's it's just glitching you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and and, and mm-hmm. uh, that that's it somehow sometimes I'm like I, I <laughs> you know Donald Trump is the how did that happen I mean it's crazy yeah. I did um I, as we're recording this, it's this morning that I talked to Kurt Anderson the guy you know he wrote fantasy land and and uh, you know evil geniuses and I asked him the same yeah. thing he founded he's one of the founders of spy magazine and I said what is 1986, 87? You think about this? Like of all the people, you know, in 2021, it's going to be Donald Trump, who's the president doing yeah. the insurrection. And Eddie Murphy is just like doing coming to America part two, like, like almost without <laughs> any fanfare, like it, like it's, it's, it's a madness, right? It's just, this whole thing's nuts. I think it's just a little bit nuts. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. and And then also it happened again, when I was able to get an interview with the, the secretary of the department of veterans affairs. If you, if anybody listening to this works in government at all, I mean, imagine it, it, the secretary of your agency is like a demigod, right? Yeah. Like you, that is some, that is an untouchable way up there person, right? Because this chain of command, it, 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 you know, it's like, if you're a, an E-5 in the army, it, that's the president to you. Uh, and to be able to interview him and, and talk to him about what happened to me at, at the department and ask him about what happened to him. If you remember, he was also surreptitiously removed from his position <laughs> by the former guy. And to have that sort of thing in common and to have that discussion, uh, again, just a, just a, a mind scramble, as, as she would say in Weird Science.
1: Yes. yes. Um, imposter syndrome, glitch in the simulation but also just kind of a oh shit this is this is cool because i don't know that uh i would rather be doing anything else no
2: i can't think of anything i would rather be doing either maybe
1: teaching but you know oh my god my heart just sank when you said that no 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 i don't (laughs) please please god no
2: (laughs) you can do both
1: well i'll die and go to hell and they'll give me a cup of hazelnut coffee and be like your classroom is this way professor you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you would look so
2: good with with patches on your elbows on a court in a corduroy jacket and a pipe. I
1: did it I taught I, I taught I taught uh as an adjunct creative writing uh undergraduate level creative writing for three semesters fun.
2: I took that yeah, class it, it made me it a creative fun. writing major for like 17 minutes
1: <laughs> <laughs> I made no one the creative right yeah I I did make them think I was crazy because I would read po- I would have them read poems and I would cry and they would look at me like I was insane
2: uh, so. I, I tell you one thing: one sure way to destroy your ability to creatively write is to go is to write a doctoral dissertation. I still haven't recovered. Um, yeah. I, I can't write anything fun or whimsical. It's all it's all very yes, analytical. Can. It has to have
1: footnotes. You know, you're, you're, you, you can't. Although I guess now that you say, it, you're, you're, even your tweets have footnotes in some ways. But yeah, I, I think that I think that you can. I think that you can manage. So. Um, I have no idea where we are on time, but let's let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Allison Gill. Okay, we're back with Allison Gill. Um, <laughs> that was so fast. I know, right? It's like boom. The, the, the time is a flat circle. Time is a flat circle. You know that. That's how that's how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk now about y- you. opened the show talking about what happened to you in the military. But I'm curious about your military service because you have this thing that happened to your father. Um, where he, you know, he died because of the, the exposure to aged Orange. So why did you join the military? Was that hard for you to do? Like, what what, what was your thinking when that happened? Yeah, I, at that point, didn't know um,
2: that that's what had caused my father's death.
1: Oh, you didn't? Okay. Okay. Uh,
2: he just, to, to, to as far as I knew, he just had pancreatic cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and high blood pressure. Um, but what made me join the military? I ran out of college money in, in, in my family. Um, it was a, a, a given that you would go to college, that you would complete your college degree. It was just like high school. Uh, you know, you, that's just the next thing that you do. I mean, I moved to LA for a while. I was in a couple movies. I tried to be an actress for a minute and I was like, I got to finish school. And so I joined, I didn't have any money. So I joined, I joined the Navy to do that. Um, and also, you know, there was a romantic feeling to it because I do know how my parents met and got married and uh, you know, and, and um, all that through through, you know, being a a military wife and a military spouse. And there was a a patriotic romantic notion about it uh, as well. And I've always been patriotic um, in one way or another. Uh, But, you know, just sort of like also, Hey, I, at, you know, ask not what your country can do for you that whole situation
1: were you ROTC or did you just enlist and then go or how did it work
2: well I took the ASVAB right which is the and the, the test where they see if you're smart enough to be in the military and um, because of the score I got on that I was heavily recruited to join the nuclear program okay and at that it was that year that they just started letting women in the nuclear program so I was one of the first four or five I can't remember um, but uh, I was heavily recruited to to be a nuke, and so uh, then I took a second test to make sure I could math, and then um, <laughs> and then uh, they were like, "Welcome, you're you're in the nuclear program." Um, and so that's uh, they sixty thousand dollars signing bonus, uh, E five out of A school, like really sweet deal, and so so I took it.
1: Okay, and that how, so. You graduated uh, college and then went right into the Navy?
2: Um, I never, no, I didn't graduate college. Uh, I just went into the Navy because I would join the Navy to finish college. Uh, But I went to nuclear power training, Naval Nuclear Power Training Command, which is one of the hardest schools, I think the hardest school in the military uh, for brains, Um, brain-wise, not like physical-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 63% attrition rate, something like that, something very high. Uh, That is a it's about a year long. It, it depends on whether you're back then we had three different kinds of nukes. You could be a machinist mate, an electronics mate, or an electrician's mate. And I chose machinist mate because it was the shortest school.
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> and I like hammers and wrenches and stuff. So, uh, that's a three month, three month A school and, and, and power school is six months, no matter which A school you take when, when, no matter what three of those you are. So it took about almost a year to get through, to get through the schooling.
1: Wow. See, this is, this is what I didn't know. People won't know this. Not, not, not that I needed more convincing that you're like smart as hell, but now I'm like, I, I can't even remember the names of the three schools that you just said, let alone, you know, how they all fit together. And Oh, and,
2: I don't remember where I parked my car, but anything, yeah, you well, know, yeah. any and I'll be honest with you, anything kind of pre-trauma is in there forever. Um, and ever since it's, it's much harder to form memories, but um you know, I, I have tricks. I know tricks, you know, like you said, if you wanted to find out what page the footnote is on for obstruction of justice for, you know, fire is trying to get McGann to fire Mueller or something, I'd probably get that for you. But, you know, there are things that I do need help with, but, and sometimes the memory is a little like the guy who was just indicted for example, uh, by the Manhattan district attorney, right? Ken something or other. Kurson, Kurson. I think. Kurson, Kurson. yeah, Kurson. Kushner friend, right? Yep. I'm I'm looking at his name and I'm looking at his New York observer job. And I'm like, I feel like I've reported on that, but I don't think I did. And so then I do a a cross check in the millions of scripts that I've written. He doesn't show up. So I'm like, all right, I didn't, okay. Uh, Because I feel like I would have remembered had I. So it's stuff like that, you know.
1: But it's also, I mean, you've, you've now done so many shows that it's, and, and it's not like these are 15 minute shows. These are, you know, shows, there's a significant amount of time and it would be understandable if you would, if it would, you know, escape your memory that you this very minor character who still is a Kushner associate, uh, you know, is going down. So, um, all right. So you're, you're in this program at the Navy, you leave the program and then you go where you're, you're, they send you to, I I don't know, to where the nuclear bombs are. I don't know. Nuclear propulsion.
0: Okay.
2: Um, I I went to school for a year to learn how to make hot water. Uh, and you should have seen my fucking face too. I thought somehow the nuclear reactor directly propelled the ship, right? Like, nuclear exhaust would move it for i had no idea how, how it worked and so when we're finally learning about the primary system and the secondary system and heating up the water at 1600 psi and pushing it through a pipe that heated up water in a secondary system that pushed that then steam through a turbine and i was like i raised my hand and i was like wait a minute we're just making hot water And the <laughs> senior chief dunn looked at me like yeah, Petty Officer Gill, we're just making hot water. I was like, whoa, blew my mind. Um, but yeah, that was it. Nuclear propulsion, um, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't work on nuclear weapons. No way, Jose. Uh, so I actually was, I got out. I, I, I was able to get out before I was sent to the USS Enterprise. I was g- going to be on the, on the Enterprise. Um, CVN 64, eight nuclear reactors, uh, big, big boat.
1: Why do, they, why do they power these boats by nuclear reactors? I mean, is there some, that's just the most efficient method or what? And it's quieter? I Tell me, because I don't know.
2: Super efficient. It's not quieter. You still have the same turbines, right?
1: Okay. We're, just,
2: we're just not using coal. We're using nuclear power. And after about 20 years, the amount of waste uh, that you get from, from powering a ship that size for 20 years is about the size of your fist.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: That's very manageable. and and we've never had an incident or an accident. Um, I'm very pro nuclear power if it's done right. Uh, I I won't go in, and when I got, of course, when I got out of the military, I was heavily recruited to work at civilian nuclear power plants. I was like, you go fuck yourself. (laughs) I am not going near your civilian nuclear power plant. Have you seen Chernobyl? Um, I don't want to dick with your positive coefficient for reactivity, man, you stand away. Uh, but the Navy did it right, and they, uh, seriously, there's never even been an incident, let alone an accident, um, in the nuclear Navy. It's safe, it's clean. The storage of the of the waste is uh, safe and clean, and causes no harm. Uh, it's absolutely wonderful.
1: Wow. Okay. See, this is something I don't really think about. You just think, oh, it's a nuclear submarine. Well, yeah, you know, it's just obviously it's a nuclear submarine, but I don't know. I don't know anything about how that stuff works. So, okay, I, I don't want to. Now now we're getting to the point where I guess in you know the pivotal moment of your life is, is, is this uh traumatic experience that happened to you. And I don't want you to talk about it uh necessarily, but what happened after that and, and how did you how did you get from where we are now to what you're doing at Veterans Affairs, I guess is is the question. There's a big chunk of time in
2: there. Um I, I tried to report it. I was told um, you know, well, first I was asked all the questions they they asked you know what were you wearing were you drinking were you flirting what, what's your problem uh you know and then they they came in and sent somebody in and said you know if you file a false rape report you could lose your rate you could lose your rank you could lose nuke school you'd be an undesignated striker out swabbing decks on a, on a boat for the rest of your navy career we'll take away you could be discharged dishonorably discharged for filing a false report uh, we could court-martial you for adultery because my attacker was married not me oh, God. um so they scared the shit out of me and said well why don't we just chalk this up to what it is it's a bad decision bad judgment on your part and i believed that i believed it was my fault it was my bad judgment and i, be- I held on to that for 10 years um uh, eventually something came up where i had a problem with my foot and and they said well we can we can have the navy doctors operate on your feet or you can get out and i said um I said, you know what? I'm going to need to think about that for a little while because this is a big decision. It wasn't. Uh, But I wanted to make it look like it was hard for me to to think about. I came back a couple days later and I said, yeah, I'll I'll exit. I'll take my exit. After that, I I got out and started going back to school, uh, which is what I intended to do. I got an honorable discharge. I used my vocational rehabilitation, uh, to, to get my bachelor's. And I used my GI bill to get my master's. Uh, I, and I, I got, I worked my way up in a telecommunications company as the auditor. And I was saving this monstrosity of a, of a fucking corporate conglomeration millions of dollars a year. And I was like, this is soul sucking. I hate it. So I, <laughs> so I quit and I cashed out my 401k and I sold my condo. And I joined a band and worked at Guitar Center part time for the discount, and I did that for about three years. And then I got wait, wait, into, What did you
1: play in the band?
2: Uh, I well, I initially played guitar. Uh, you know, I was a classically trained musician from from the age of three, but I had taught myself guitar in high school. I wanted to play guitar, but we didn't have a bass player. And since I was the only classically trained musician in the band, they were like, "You got to play bass." I was like, "Fine." So I bought a bass and I played bass. And uh, and uh, I, I was I started. Uh, you know um working for getting other jobs in hotel restaurant management in the industry industry jobs right yeah. you know because i was i was a waitress and a bartender putting myself through college so that was my wheelhouse and just played in a band and fucked off for a bunch of years and then i was out of money and i was like all right i should probably do something it was around that time obama was running for office and he he you know reiterated uh, jfk's refrain you know ask now what your country can do for you i was like well i can't go back in the military I'll, I'll work for the Department of Veterans Affairs. I'll, I'll help other people who went through what I went through. I'll help people like my dad. Um, and, and especially all the, you know, the, the post 9-11 OEF, OIF veterans, uh, which is, it ties into what we're seeing on the ground in Afghanistan now. Uh, and it took about six months with an NBA to get a clerk job at the Department of Veterans Affairs, but I ended up getting it. And, uh, worked my way up through the ranks, got my PhD in public health because that was going to be my career for the rest of my life. Um, and then I started a secret podcast at night, which ended up being investigated by the Trump administration. And then they pulled a Mick Mulvaney on me. They moved my job across country, knowing that I wouldn't move to get me to quit. And they fired me.
1: There's a lot to <laughs> unpack there. So we're. I'm going to have to go, I'm going to go back a little bit and, and, and make some, first of all, thank you for sharing the, 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 the traumatic experience which i know is difficult and i don't like i said i don't necessarily want you to talk about but i want to say just you know it, it's astonishing to me how these rules were and how awful and misogynist the entire system is and i you know th- this is a time like you know the clarence thomas hearings and and stuff like that in the 90s and then you had that movie um disclosure which came out remember that movie it's like it's the one the- Demi Moore, Michael Douglas—it's yeah. like the one example ever of sexual harassment where the the man is falsely accused. So it's literally, it's never happened before. So the idea that they would that they would have to tell you these things about like oh the false rape—when does that that doesn't happen? It's like
2: it happened? It happened all the time. Um, well, I mean, you know the the bad part happened all the no, time because yeah. when they when they interviewed me for the Invisible War, which was the Oscar-nominated documentary on military sexual assault uh, i i told them my story and then i didn't know how they were going to use my story in the movie but i went to the film premiere and it turns out i was used in a montage of many women and men who had the exact same things said to them almost like it was a script uh, even down yeah. to the adultery charge because their attacker was uh, married um, filing a false claim you'll be discharged dishonorably discharged court-martialed um, you know same verbiage used uh, on and that I thought it was really skillfully done the way they, they put that montage together in the movie to show that hey this was the way this was the way of it um, yeah
1: the, the threats and stuff but did that ever happen I mean I, I wonder like were there people running around filing false claims all the time and getting charged with adultery no no you know, the it, commanders it, didn't want to... the didn't yeah. want the rape on their on their watch. It's 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 disgraceful and and awful. So I just want to say that, you know, for the record. Now, okay, so now I'm fascinated by this band thing too. So are you good? Are you are you a good guitar player or I know you play bass? Yeah. Oh, um here's a joke, okay? Yeah. So, okay, so this kid, 16-year-old kid comes to his dad and says, um, "Hey, I need $20. Um, I'm going to go, you know, it's Thursday. I'm going to go have a, a bass lesson the Dad says, great. Okay. Here, here's $20 kid goes the next week. He comes back and he says, uh, you know, dad, uh, I need $20. I'm going to go, you know, have my bass lesson. The dad says, great. Gives him the $20. The Thursday after that, the kid comes back and he says, okay, dad, I'll see you later. And the dad's like, well, don't you need you know, money for the lesson? He's like, nah, I got a gig. That's it. That's the joke. That's so- very
2: funny. I, once I, once I picked up the bass, I could play it, you know, uh, but I did, I did take lessons. Uh, I, I did you know I, it, you can always be better um everyone can always be better uh but you know my my influences were like you know kim deal you know yeah. of the of the pixies and and i ended up being the new order joy division i ended up sort of being a guitar a, a obvious guitarist with a bassist because i had all these bass solos and you know <laughs> playing high up on the neck doing melodies and stuff like that used I used to
1: when we were in, um, in high school, like having these battles of the bands, were kind of a big deal. And everybody would, you know, a lot of kids that were really great guitar players and sometimes like that, they'd get one of these guitar players to play bass and we'd be like, no fair guitar player. Mm. That's it, you know, because that yeah. wasn't fair.
2: The rest of my band was awful, but you can actually hear it. I think it's on Spotify.
1: It's on Spotify. What is the name of this band?
2: The uh, band is called Velvet Tongue and the album is called Cassette.
1: <laughs> okay. It's clever velvet tongue cassette, yeah. Right. And then,
2: in and then I put out a solo album in 2006 where I did all the instrumentation, uh, except for the drums. Uh, my f- a friend who's a drummer for White Buffalo did the drums, his name's Matt Lynott. Uh, and that album is just by Allison Gill and it's called Profit Flower, P R O P H E T Flower, also on Spotify. So you can hear what I've listened to The Cure a lot when I may have put that album out, okay. So. <laughs> And then when and then when we did uh, when we did the Velvet Tongue stuff, I was very very into Pavement and the Pixies. Uh, but please don't judge
1: me on on the drummer. The drummer was
2: terrible.
1: Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna play the drums right now and judge you on the. No, I'm kidding. okay so let's talk about let's talk about the veterans i know you've told the story before but i i I do want to sort of break it down because it's it's one of these awful things that happens there's so many awful things that happened in the trump administration that you know what happened to you is a a drop in the bucket but it's still fucking awful and i think people should know about it which is that you, you use mick mulvaney as a verb so can you explain what happened just so you know people listening who are not aware of the story. Yeah, well, the
2: the imposter syndrome raises its ugly head again, right? I I was really, I I was like, nobody cares about my show. Nobody's listening to my show that, oh, you know, when I get a new, uh, a revised Hatch Act that includes social media and podcasts uh, and the word resisting, you know, from Trump where, you know, because there was nothing wrong with the original Hatch Act it was, it covered the bases, but Trump wanted to, you know, it said you can't oppose or support a political candidate for office. You can't do fundraisers for him, et cetera. Trump comes in and says, and you can't say bad things about Trump. And it's like, you're, you are a candidate for office. You fucking dumbass. Uh, but no bad things about Trump, no resisting. Uh, and then he put out social media guidance. You can't tweet bad about the twi- you know, just like, and I'm like, I'm sure this has nothing to do with me and my tweets and my podcast. I'm sure it's got nothing to do with me. Uh, then my employee records were requisitioned, uh, by the office of general counsel in DC. And I was like, why? And they're like, we can't tell you. We just have to, well, we're only obligated to tell you that we're doing it. I'm like, okay, enjoy. Cause I have all outstanding performance reviews. I've been an outstanding right. <laughs> knock yourself out. Uh, then, uh, April comes, April 2019 comes, my bosses fly out to, to San Diego from DC on your dime, by the way, uh, take me to a hotel by the pool and tell me that my job is moving across the country. Um, I am the West region TRICARE liaison to the Department of Defense. There's two of me in the country, a West region and an East region. There are two TRICARE offices in the country, one in Falls Church in DC, one in San Diego, California. I live in San Diego, California. I'm the West region TRICARE liaison at the TRICARE office at the West office. They're like, well, we're moving your job to DC. I'm like, well, who's gonna watch the West region? Oh, you are from, from DC.
0: Uh,
2: that's the, okay, okay. Uh, but I can't move. Okay, well then you have to sign this piece of paper saying we're going to fire you. I was like, "All right, that's weird." So then I went on a tour. Tw- I took all twelve weeks of my leave at once.
1: Good,
0: good. <laughs> I, I
2: said, good. I said, "I said, you know what? I'm going on tour." Um, and went out on tour. Come back, and the day I come back, August sixth, that's the day the Washington Post reports Mick Mulvaney talking to his donors, saying, "We found this great new way of getting rid of federal." employees that we don't like because it's real hard to do to fire a federal employee but we found this way we just move them across we just move them where they can't move and then we just then they quit or we fire them because they won't move they did it to the USDA if you remember and uh and and that same day I got a phone call from my supervisor who by the way has the job that I was offered a year hmm. earlier I was offered that job it's in DC and I said I can't move to DC so they knew I couldn't move to DC. Yeah. And this, this guy who's got my job comes to me and says, uh, you know, we're investigating. Uh, this is a fact-finding investigation. And I was like, oh, okay, can I have, I need my lawyers. Because I had hired lawyers at that point to advise me on the Hatch Act and to make sure I wasn't doing anything wrong with the ethics and and all that stuff. And they go, nope, no representation for you. You have to answer my questions. And I was like, all right. So they did this courtroom drama sort of thing felt like they were awesome gotcha stuff. Like, I'm gonna need you to open your laptop and go to mullersherote.com, please, you know. And they walk me through all this. Click on about, click on hosts, scroll down. Is that you? You know, and I'm like, I think I need a lawyer. And they're like, you don't get one. You have to answer my questions. And I was like, yeah, that's, it's me. It's a fucking picture of me, <laughs> like, <laughs> AG, like w- way to go. Perry Mason. And, <laughs> but the funniest part was when they said, all right, I'm going to need you to go to twitter.com slash blah, 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 slash uh, four, nine, six, eight, three 24 You know, they spell out this fucking URL from Twitter and I go to it and it's a video of me in Minneapolis at the Parkway Theater leading the audience in a three-part harmony uh, of the word fucked uh, while talking about Paul Manafort. I ended every show with this. You, you saw it. In Remember, Boston. yeah. I split the audience into three, four parts, actually. The, usually the mezzanine gets to say the fucked at the end really loud, leading them in the, the, this thing. And I'm watching this and I'm, uh, one half of me is terrified. Like I've somehow run afoul of ethical considerations, which as a government employee is the last thing that and it, you want to do if you're an ethical government employee. But uh, half of me is dying laughing because I'm <laughs> sitting They're leading this three-part harmony of the word fucked followed by a standing ovation. And, um, and they're like, is that you? Like, Like, yeah, that's me on my time off doing my hobby. I've told dick jokes for the last 10 years on stage. Nobody ever questioned me about that. This is really interesting. Uh, And then they spent the next, I don't know, nine or 10 months arguing with me about telework and uh, reasonable accommodations and eventually fired me for being medically unfit. It removed me for being medically unfit. uh, Finally in March of 2020.
1: Were you, I mean, you must've been terrified on some level and, and probably try. I mean, you have your trauma where something awful, you've already been through a bureaucratic fucking Kafka esque nightmare. Once in your life, now you're doing it again, you know? Well,
2: yeah, well, you forget in the middle there too. I was trying to get my my, uh, compensation and pension for being a disabled veteran for the PTSD. And they denied me three times over five years. And it wasn't until I was in the movie that the the head of uh, women's benefits Department of Veterans Affairs retired brigadier general allison hickey called me personally she called everyone that was in the film and said how's it going and i was like five like five years three denials they're saying it didn't happen because i didn't report it uh and she's like "Mm, hang on a second and then two weeks later i had my exam and i had my my claim adjudicated so that that was a big big time betrayal number two from from a, a governmental entity and now and now this yeah. And, you know, it. it I was a GS-14, which is the same as Lisa Page. If you remember of Struck and Page fame, she's GS-14. Yep. I was a GS-14. That was a, a very good paycheck and, uh, you know, very good pension. And I was going to retire. I had spent $80,000 getting a PhD because that was going to be my job for the rest of my life. So, yeah, I was I was I was pretty terrified. Uh, but I was having so much fun with the podcast that that uh, I was like, all right. I've got a, I've got a net to fall into here. I don't know. Yeah. It's a, it's a less secure net for sure. Um, but it's, it's been, it's still going and it's been going pretty good. And, and now now I got my own network. Um, so, cause I was tired of the way that the networks were treating podcasters um, and I wanted to make it better. So that's what it, that's, that's, that brings us to today.
1: That's I still can't. <laughs> to make you open your laptop and go through the thing i mean did you did you try to fuck with them at that point just like misspell twitter i, I don't know
2: i wanted to but like it's the government right and this is an institution that i have f- full respect for and i dedicated my life to it and like i said the 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 the, the ethics and the not wanting to run afoul of policy is just so deeply ingrained. And, you know, I was in the military. I come from this whole, this whole background. Yeah. And it's wanting to be on the right side of things was so important to me that I spent pretty much any additional extra money that I had from, from the podcast on making sure, on lawyers to make sure that I wasn't doing anything wrong because it's that important to me. I, I didn't tell my story until a year after I had been removed from my job because I wanted to put enough space between me and it so that it didn't look like I was profiting off of my, off of my government. Um, right. My time in the government, I never gave my name. I never gave my title. I never gave my agency. Uh, I did everything after hours. I had, if, if, if I needed a tweet to go out somebody else would send that tweet out if it was during, if it was yeah. during hours. So you know, working 40 hours a week during the week, packing up on a Friday night, traveling to a city to do a live show, coming back before, you know, I had to go back to work on on Monday morning and doing everything in the evenings and on the weekends. It was it got it got it got really tough. So, and you know, uh, I'm ultimately glad that that things ended the way that they did.
1: I think it, it worked out for the best. Do you I don't think, think that- I would
2: have been able to quit myself.
1: Do you do you think that the guy that was there doing this ridiculous, stupid interrogation of you realized what a fucking dipshit he seemed like at that time, or or was there no self awareness? Like, Probably. did he seem guilty at all? Uh, you know,
2: no. And I did find out later that the officer general counsel was assisting him in the investigation and advising him. And uh, further found out through a FOIA request that. Uh, that they were monitoring my social media activity at the secretary level at the secretary of VA level when Wilkie was in there.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's nuts. It's uh, Mulvaney looks like, um, you know, the Nazi from Raiders of the Lost Ark before his face gets melted. And Wilbur Ross is after the face gets melted. It's the same Nazi in different stages of melting face.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's actually oh. how I refer to Mick Mulvaney in, in my in my book that I'm working on.
1: Oh, yeah. T- it, can, can you talk about that now that you've teased it or do, am I going to have to go back and delete that part?
2: No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine. It's totally fine.
1: What is this book of which you speak?
2: Ah, yeah. Uh, working on a book um, about justice and how we can wait for it or we can manifest it.
1: You said manifest it. I was gonna say you, you can can manifort it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're pardoned. Whop whop. Um <laughs> <Man-a-fort> destiny.
1: <laughs> Mana Fortress of Solitude. Man of I don't know.
2: <laughs> Would you remember when we got the the first indication I got? That these dipshits actually believe in the shit that they're saying is when we when they released the texts between hannity
1: yes, and Man, yes, Manafort. yes yes and, and
2: i was like these fuckers really believe this yeah. shit. or they're writing it thinking that they're going to get caught and they're going to get out right because you know it's, it's always best to write write emails yeah. and text messages like they'll be released one day but yeah we called them the manatee texts because they were between manafort and hannity and <laughs> And somebody, one of our listeners, said, sent some fan art in of what a manatee looks like, and it's fucking terrifying, Greg. Uh,
1: yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's like a, it's. It, <laughs> I, I when um, what's his name? Tucker Carlson was in Hungary a couple of weeks ago, you know, for, with with Orbán, who's basically the yeah. bag man yeah
2: goose um, stepping with his friends
1: yeah yeah i said it was like a human centipede where mogolevich was the top and tucker was the bottom and orban was you know kind of in the middle so um <laughs> which explains the shit-eating grin on tucker carlson's face at all times so yeah um <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say the 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 um it made me think of that. I remember those texts and I was blown away by it because I thought, shit, I thought Hannity was smarter than this, but he is, I guess not. He's a moron. Mm-hmm. And the most hopeful that I felt in the four years of the Trump presidency, especially in maybe the first three, was when Manafort got indicted. That was just... I remember I was at the, I'm not a big gym guy, but I was at the gym that morning doing deadlifts. And I felt like, oh, I could throw this fucking thing through the ceiling. I feel so good right now. And the second, the second best moment.
2: November, November 2nd, I believe, 2017 um, or October 31st. It was between October 31st and November, 20th, uh, November 2nd, 2017. I, I remember it uh, like it was yesterday because that's when I, I set the microphones up on the kitchen table and said, time to record the first episode.
1: Nice. The second best time was when we found out that um, Hannity was Michael Cohen's... Uh, <laughs> of their third client. I was, I was on Twitter. I was like, somebody was live tweeting it and I was, you know, I kept hitting refresh and I remember, like, oh my God, it's Hannity! Ah! It was so good. It was so good. I loved it so much. Um, yeah,
2: I, I, my biggest woohoo moment in the last uh, few months is when the decision came down from the Department of Justice that they would not represent Mo Brooks in the swalwell lawsuit against him we were i was refreshing refreshing pacer refreshing come on you better fucking not you better not do this to me merrick garland i've been sticking Ugh, up for you you motherfucker. i know
1: i know and, come on merrick then, garland
2: bam he did the right thing and i was like oh god thank you thank you thank you for giving me a little bit of a cushion because i've been a pinata for you for the last fucking month because of his decisions on lafayette and eugene carroll no uh, he's
1: been he's been Not as great as maybe we would have liked, but no, we'll we'll see. Jury's still out. I think the jury's still out. God knows what. Literally,
2: quite literally, the jury (laughs) is still the grand jury is still out.
1: Exactly. So, okay. So, when is this book coming out? Or did you write it yet? What's your what's the deal?
2: The proposal is almost finished. Uh, I'll be shopping it around. uh i think mary trump has uh, been kind enough to to do a blurb for me along with andy mccabe and uh, a bunch of uh, really amazing uh, people that i've been able to interview over the years so i don't think i'll have a problem selling it um uh, but we know we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes but it's not so sold it's not, yet
1: it's hmm? not an imminent release then i'm not really no it's a- no
2: yeah it's going to be a while and i'm writing a one woman show to do um a book tour with it um and that's that's my next big thing and then once that's done. Uh, I want Bill Maher's job. That's
1: ooh, oh, that would be so good. That'd that's be my so vision. Good. Somebody else should have that job for sure. The the um, what was I going to say? Publishing. This is this is my stock joke, but publishing moves so slow that Al Gore shot a documentary about it melting. That's the that's <laughs> you know that just prepare yourself. As a guy who who has a couple books out, it just it's it's it, it's astonishing. House, you think you think that the wheels of justice move slow? <laughs> let me tell you about publishing. Woo! Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've read.
2: heard. I've molasses,
1: heard. Molasses, man, molasses. Okay, so um, yeah, I think it's been about an hour. So here, I'm going to ask you one last question. What's the deal with this red dress? Because you were talking about this red dress. It's a piece of art. You have all these good pictures up of it. What was the deal with that? Um, wh- what were you doing that you were wearing that red dress?
2: Oh, I went to an event in New York. Um, a private event uh, in oh, New York. Okay. And um, had a very very uh, handsome date to go with me. And I, the night before I flew to New York for this event, I stopped at Macy's and I was like, you know what? I got eight little black dresses. What's nine? You know, what's another? I, I just want a new something new. All of these are pre-pandemic outfits. I want a new uh what I thought was going to be post-pandemic outfit (laughs) but uh uh, you know a little window of of no pandemic for a minute uh outfit and and I got there and I'm looking around the little black dresses and I walk by the Alexander McQueen rack and there's this beautiful amazing red dress that is 10 times more than I wanted to spend Uh, but I couldn't stop thinking about it as I'm trying on these little black dresses and then I was like you know what I'm just gonna try it on I'm just going to try it on. And uh, I tried it on and I was like, like, (laughs) like crepuscular rays came through the dressing room and the choirs sang. And I was like, I can't that. And I was like, I can't, I can't, it's ridiculously expensive. I put it back and then I was still in the black dresses and I got this really cute blouse that I ended up wearing during a different event that weekend. But then as I'm almost to the door of Macy's I turn back around and I walk back to the lay. I'm like, I can't leave the store without it. I can't leave the store without it. Uh, it needs to be tailored. And she's like, they have those in New York. And I was like, all right. <laughs>
1: so,
2: so I purchased it and I wore it. And it's the most amazing thing. And I hope I get to wear it again soon.
1: It's good. The pictures are really good. It looked like you're having a lot of fun. Your you're, you're consort for the evening, very dashing, whoever he is, this, this guy. <laughs> um he's also yeah.
2: a secret he does some he does secret stuff that we can't talk about for the government so it's all very classified it's all very hush hush
1: it's all very hush hush okay so he 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 works in so, so he gets messages in the mail that tell him to go to cambodia to install <laughs> satellites in the no i'm kidding that moves it that moves it back to the beginning of the so what's the now what's the schedule for 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 daily daily beans and muller she wrote what's what's the difference between them at this point and what's what's the, what's the schedule and routine of that. Well muller she
2: wrote I resurrected it was it was shuttered for about a year. Uh, right. mostly because of bill barr and nothing was happening but things are moving again like tom Barrick, et etc oh, things yeah. are moving again in the southern district in the eastern district and we're watching it and you know i'm and i want to report on it so that comes out every sunday every week and then daily beans comes out every weekday morning um first thing in the morning and then i have the msw book club where i go through different books right now we're doing a uh, hatchet man by ellie honig and um and then uh, usually I always at the, for the last episode, I have the author come on and answer questions that people have that have arisen during the the first six or seven episodes of the series. Uh, that comes out every Sunday as well. And then, of course, I have clean up on aisle 45 with Andrew Torres, which is everything. It's, it's just what it sounds like. It's what we're doing, what, what the Biden administration is doing to clean up on aisle 45. Uh, so those are the the four shows that I currently actually participate in um and then of course we have amazing shows like yours on the network we've got uh, justice matters with glenn Kirschner. we've got on topic with renato uh-huh. Mariatti.
1: yeah
2: um it just a, and we're bringing more on every day we've got um the way we win with swing left is now a part of the group we have so many i can't i can't i i know i'll leave some out if i try to name them all
1: um, no it's a great and okay we were talking before about being like holy shit like when I go look at the page and I'm there with all those people, I'm like, holy shit, man, this is, this is good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, (laughs) Frank
2: Figalusi, the bureau, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm I'm intimidated by his artwork. I'm like, Ooh, Ooh.
1: He's intimidating, but I was on the, I was on the show with him once. He's the nicest guy. And, um, you know, and I was, it, I very rarely get nervous when I do those shows, and I was terrified. <laughs> and then it turns out there was no reason to be because he's super nice. Um, anyway, uh, so your Twitter, what, what you have, th- what, a bunch of different Twitter handles, but it's.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, since I've been able to come out as myself um, mm-hmm. after, you know, hiding as AG for a very long time, I'm now, my personal Twitter is at Allison Gill two L's and Allison, two L's and Gil. There's the good old at Muller She Wrote, which is my main tweeting device right, for, right. for all things news and threads and speculation. And of course we have at Daily Beans Pod, which is uh, where you can get all the shows and and uh, little audiograms and news for coming out that's coming out from the Daily Beans. So those, those are the, the three main ones.
1: And I will put them on the, you know, the little page and thing that I write to accompany this um, when it drops. So um yeah, so if, you pronounce... you
2: want my, if you want my news news, uh, analysis of the news, Mueller, she wrote. And then if you want my personal, what shit's going on in my personal life, at Allison Gill. You want
1: both. Everybody listening to this wants both. I think I think it's safe to assume. So, okay. So the word G-I-F, how do you pronounce that? Jeff. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought you, of all people, was, <laughs> would say GIF because then your last name should be Allison Jill. That's all. That's I thought of it <laughs> right before. No,
2: you're, gonna... you're incorrect. It's Jeff. <laughs> it's, it's
1: I was like, she must pronounce it the same way that her last name. Anyway, that's, all. that's a stupid joke. Okay.
2: And <laughs> just because the first word is graphic doesn't mean it has to be a hard G. We call the uh, Select um, Senate Committee on Intelligence Sissy, not Sicky. Um, so it doesn't have anything to do with you know whether it's a hard G or a hard C in the word as to how we pronounce it in, in, in the acronym. And uh, there's a lot of different examples of that. Uh, And the guy who invented it says GIF. So I go with that. Just like I I don't say Moog, I say Moog because that's how Moog says his own name.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Um, (laughs) So Allison Gill, no, Alison (laughs) Gill, thank you so much for joining me. This is really fun. Thank you for being so, so forthcoming about all your personal stuff, because I know it's hard sometimes to talk about that. And I appreciate it. I know the listeners appreciate learning more about you and really just a remarkable job that you've done. I mean, it, it, Again, th- these are four going on five now, completely fucked up years, and you've really helped me and a lot of other people uh, make sense of it all and, and, and keep everybody honest and, and let us know what what's going on. And it's, it's such a valuable service that you've been providing and continue to provide. And, and uh, so thank you for that.
2: Oh, man, you're welcome. I, I don't even know. I, I'm, I'm learning to say you're welcome. <laughs> That's all you have to say.
1: All right. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us.
2: Thank you. And thank you
0: for all the your Prevail time. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Sophia Tereshchenko
1: provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Cigna Della, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Alison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kenai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail. MSW.